Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. We were sent. Heaven called us. So we came to you and found you afraid. Lonely. In a world trembling with fear and heartache. Don't be troubled. Your cries have been heard. From the deepest parts of heaven, he has called you by name. You are loved by the Most High, created in His image, overshadowed by His presence. You've been chosen, blessed. Your life has a purpose, a holy purpose. I've been sent to guide you, to deliver a message. Christmas, everybody. I want to welcome you to Liquid. I'm Tim, one of the pastors here, and glad you're here. Hey, we need to give a big, huge Christmas shout out to our campuses in Nutley, New Brunswick, and Mountainside. Welcome, guys. Glad you're here with us. Our series, Fear Not, we are headed towards the holidays. Um, at Christmas, I kind of like to start with something funny. I came across this week these epic Christmas fails uh, online, epic Christmas fails. I love when kids write letters to Santa. Um, but parents, you need to proofread, okay? You got to get this right, parents. You want to... <laughs> this one I call the Christmas Eve weave. You know, that's a, that's a fashion fail right there. Can't hate on the hair too much. Guys, you are capable of tacky taste too. That's, that's amazing. That's, a, that's an amazing moment. And how about this? This homeowner staged this fake Christmas light disaster. The guy hanging from the roof isn't real. It's a dummy. But, and you see the ladder in the bushes? It freaked out his neighbors so bad, the police ordered him to take it down because people were calling 911 as they drove by. That's amazing. Christmas seems more and more like Halloween each year. Well, our theme of this series is Fear Not. And if you missed last week, what we're doing is we're looking at three different accounts of the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus in Scripture. And in each of these gospel stories, we're going to see an angel appear to different people. And the first two words out of the angel's lips are, help me out, everybody, fear not. Last week, we saw Gabriel, the angel, appear to Mary. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. 
Gabriel told Mary she was going to be pregnant with the Son of God through the Holy Spirit. And we said, you know what? That was an unexpected, it's an unplanned pregnancy, an unexpected interruption in Mary's life. And we said, let's talk honestly about overcoming the fear of God's plan for our lives. What do you do when God asks you to do something that seems difficult or beyond your ability? And what we honestly said is, you know what? Sometimes uh, human interruptions are really God's invitations to trust him in a much deeper way because God's purposes are higher than our human plans. Well, today we're going to see how the birth of Jesus affected Joseph, who was engaged to Mary, must have been shocked at the news because, as you know, marrying a pregnant you know, girl, I mean, you know, this is a big stigma, obviously, uh, in, uh, in that culture. And in fact, he was going to have to raise a child who wasn't his biological child. So what we're going to look at is how did Joseph overcome the fear of what other people think about us when we make decisions to do something with our family that not everybody agrees with. So take your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to see an angel appear to Joseph and, of course, say those words, fear not. Let me get a little participation because we're talking about the fear of what people think about us. All our campuses, raise your hand if you just can admit that you care what other people think about you. Just raise your hand. You admit, yeah, a ton of hands. If you see people not raising their hands, you have my permission, point at them and say, you're not raising your hand because you care what I think. You know, right? that's why you're not doing it, right? The reality is at one level or another, we all are very concerned about appearances, right? Do you, do you like the clothes that I wear? Do you, do you like the car that I drive? Do you think I'm funny? You know, do you, do you like my Instagram selfie? Because when I take it up here, I only have two chins. Down here, I have four chins. Do you like my duck lips? You know, that, all of it, right? We become quickly obsessed with what people think about us. And in this week's account, we're going to watch Joseph battle with the opinions of people. He's faced with this choice. He has to decide between doing what is easy and doing what is right, between what people want him to do and what God wants him to do. So let's dive in. We're going to start at verse 18. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to do what? To divorce her quietly. And again, last week we just kind of acknowledged it must have been totally intimidating for Mary to give this news to Joseph about her pregnancy, right? I mean, I want you to imagine her. She comes out of the bathroom with the little stick, you know, and the two pink lines, you know, and she's like, Joey, you need to sit down, uh, you know, have this talk. It's true what the angel said. I'm preggers, uh, you know, but don't freak out. Don't jump to conclusions because it's by the Holy Spirit. And you imagine, you know, you know, Joey, you know what, you think I'm born yesterday? I saw the guy at the well the way he looked at you. You know, you can imagine him being a little bit perturbed because from a human perspective, Joseph has two options. If you take away the possibility that God actually performed a miracle, Joseph has two options. Either this chick is crazy or she's lying. And I don't want to marry somebody who's either a liar or a lunatic. So this is a major problem for Joseph. Because in this culture, engagement, again, was different than ours. Engagement was a legal binding contract. In other words, you'd typically be engaged for about a period of a year. And during that time, if you want to break off the engagement, you didn't just say, here's the ring back. You actually had to file for divorce. There were only two ways out of engagement. You either got divorced or you had to die, all right? And that engagement was so serious 
that if one of the couple died, the other would be considered a widower for life, all right? So this is a matter of life and death. Remember, in this culture, it was a sin to be pregnant out of wedlock. It was not only punishable by death, they would stone you for this. So Mary is marked for death. And she says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. The Holy Ghost did it. And at some point, Joseph's just asking himself, okay, if I stay with this girl, what's going to happen to her and what's going to happen to me? If I go through with this, what are they going to say about us? What are they going to do to us? From his perspective, his reputation is ruined for the rest of his life. If he's the dude who got her pregnant or she became pregnant by somebody else, from that point on, Joseph is going to walk through life with this social stigma. He's going to find it hard to find a job. Oh, that's that guy who, you know, has a questionable way. He might find it difficult to start his wood, woodworking business, you know? People may shun him. Oh, he's no, you don't that carpenter, you know? Reputation is ruined. If he divorces her, no other father is going to want to bless his daughter to be married to him. I want you to imagine, you know, simple things. You know, he's taking his donkey in for an oil change, you know? And, and the people say, oh, we don't work on your kind of donkey here, you know? Get your ass out of here. Because that... <laughs> Sorry, King James, get your donkey out of here because everybody's going to be judging Joseph like you're judging me right now uh, for uh, of what's going on in his life. We don't fully understand his state of mind, but we do know from the text, look at this in verse 19, he decides to bail on the relationship he's done. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her, what's this word? Quietly. Now, let me clarify what that means, all right? Because you hear that word, you know, like divorce or quietly, like it sounds a little like the mob, right? You know, like, hey, I heard you have a little problem, Joey. You know, keep things hush, hush. Mary's going to sleep with the fishes. We'll take care of things quietly, right? That's not what's happening here. It's not New Jersey. This is, this is Israel. This isn't a mob threat to take Mary out. In fact, the Bible says Joseph, look at this, was faithful to the law. Do you know what that means? It means he upheld and he respected the word of God. That was the Jewish Torah. And he still had a heart for Mary. It says he didn't want to expose her. To public disgrace. In other words, most scholars agree this is a noble, honoring thing that Joseph decides to do. He doesn't want to cause Mary public shame or punishment. He's not going to yell, you know, hey, she cheated on me, everybody. He still cares about her. And he's thinking, you know what? Maybe she can go off and have this baby somewhere else. And maybe I can move like a town over or something and start over. And you know what? We'll, we'll just get on with our lives and just kind of, you know, move forward. So this is a noble approach that Joseph decides to take at first. But he's about to learn one of the hardest lessons in the life of someone who wants to please God. You ready for this? If you're taking notes, this is big. He's going to learn that pleasing God often means disappointing people. Can we say that? Pleasing God often means what? Disappointing people. Joseph is about to learn the powerful truth that if you want to obey God, there will be many times when other people will not agree, and they will not understand what God is asking you to do. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. Here's how the story goes down. Look what it says. Verse 20, but after he considered this, meaning Joseph's weighing it, here are the pros, here are the cons, and the cons of staying with Mary outweigh the pros, so I'm going to break up and, and we'll move on with our lives. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said, Joseph, son of David, do not be what? Afraid. What the King James says, fear not to take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, this is powerful. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name 
Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now, some dads, when they hear that their wife is expecting a baby boy, right, they, they imagine naming their son after themselves, right? This is going to be Joe Jr., you know? This is going to be little Joey, right? But God says, fear not, Joseph. I want you to marry Mary, and she's going to have this child, and I don't want you to name the boy after yourself. I want you to give him the name that is above every name on the face of the planet. You are to give him the name Jesus. If you look at your notes, you'll see there's great significance in this name. Jesus is actually the Greek form of the name Joshua or Yeshua, which means the Lord saves. Your stepson is going to save his people from their sins. And that's why it was so important that Mary was a virgin. You know, at Christmas time, sometimes people ask, they say, well, you know, Pastor Tim, what does the virgin birth really matter? It doesn't seem pivotal. I believe resurrection, virgin birth, big deal. Oh, it matters more than you could possibly imagine. See, because Jesus did not have an earthly father, it means he didn't inherit a sin nature, but rather he had a heavenly father with a divine nature. And that's why Jesus was born without sin and could be the sacrifice for your sin, for my sin on the cross. Jesus lived the sinless life that God designed you and I to live. We fall woefully short of this. Jesus stands in the gap. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I become the righteousness of God. What that means is when you trust in Jesus, not only does God forgive your sin, but he looks at you as if you always obeyed. Do you believe that God looks at you right now and is saying, well done, my daughter, well done, my son. You're like, I'm not that good. It's true, you're not. (laughs) But Jesus was. The virgin birth, understand, is the foundation for God's global plan of salvation. So Jesus and Joseph and Mary, they kind of learn in this stunning way, God's purposes are often way bigger than our human plans. Just as God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, especially when life doesn't go the way we expect or want. And so God reveals this epic eternal purpose that he may have actually for your life if you'll have the simple courage to do what he asks. Now after Joseph wakes up from this dream, you have to imagine there was a pendulum swing of emotions inside of his mind, right? On on one level, he's like, was that even real? I mean, for centuries, we've been promised this Messiah who's going to save people, and, and, and I personally am going to be part of the greatest event in history. That's amazing. But at the same time, he's imagining the voices of his family and his friends, right? And his emotions swing the other way. Oh my gosh, what are people going to say? What is this going to cost me? You know, I get to change the world, but I have no idea how we're going to do this. Everybody's going to tell me, run for your life, Joseph. Don't marry this crazy girl who sinned, who may be lying, who should be put to death by stoning. So you see the crossroads? There's a choice for Joseph. On the one hand, do I do what people want and expect? On the other, should I do what God wants and commands? The question is the same you and I have. Do I let a little baby named Jesus dictate my destiny? And I can promise you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, at different points in your life, you will be confronted with this decision to do what is easy and popular with people or to obey God and do what's right in his eyes. It's your choice. But the truth is, Obeying God, pleasing him, often means disappointing people. And the reality is, if we could just be honest, most of us drift towards people-pleasing, right? 
What, what, do you, what do you think of me? You know, do, you, do you like what I'm wearing? Do you like what I'm doing? Can I be part of your club? You know, uh, uh, will you get angry if I say no to your request? Right? People pleasers are always overbooked because they can never say no. We don't want to make anyone angry. Uh, I, I care what you think. So can I tell you the truth of what I think or do I have to hide and conceal the truth? And suddenly, without even meaning to, we surrender our lives to the opinions of people at the expense of actually obeying and pleasing God. I want you to take it from me. Many pastors are world-class people pleasers. We have a hard time saying no. And it's a major stronghold if you're going to live your life for an audience of one. Why does this matter? The first thing, if you want to write this down, this is the truth. Becoming obsessed about what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Let me say that again. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. Later on, after Jesus grew up, he began his ministry at the age of 30, and he preached this powerful sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and he addressed this very issue in Luke 6, the message paraphrase. I want you to read this. Look what Jesus said. He said, there's trouble ahead when you live only for, say it together, church, the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Your task is to be what? True not popular. How do we overcome this? The desire to please people and win popularity contests. This is the powerful truth, folks. If becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you, you turn it around. The flip side is reversed. It's true. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget what people think about you. Living for an audience of one and actually saying, God, I, wanna, I just want to honor you with all that I do, all that I decide, all that I say, that is the quickest, best, and only way to be set free from living for the approval of others. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the North Star for a follower of Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. No matter what you do, you can't please everyone. Is that true? If you try to please one group of people, at some point you're going to fail with another, you know? You wear your hair this one way. What do you think? Dude, that looks cool. What do you think? You look fat. Oh, you know, wh which one, right? Hey, I like, what kind of music do you like? I like country music, you know. Do I fit in? No, you fit in with rednecks, you know. You can't please everybody. It's the truth, the reality, you know, I, or p politics, right? Well, this is what I believe politically, but here's the whole group, you know. Do, do I lean left or do I, do, I, do I curve right, you know? I'll just stand in the middle. Now we all hate you. You can't, whatever the case is, you can't, if you try to please one group, you displease someone else. And no matter how hard you try, you can't please everyone. But the good news is the Bible says you can please God. You can. You can live a life where God looks at you and says, you did good, my son. You did good, my daughter. Well done. You brought glory to the name of my son, Jesus, your Savior. Well done, my good and faithful servant. This is a struggle for every disciple of Christ. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it records a moment where people started putting their faith in Jesus, but they were afraid to say it because they felt, what will other people think? Look at this. It says, yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. That's Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for what? For fear they would be put out of the synagogue. You're going to kick me out of your religious club? Now watch this. For they loved what? Say it together. Human praise more than the praise of God. Here's a question for you. Zero-sum question. If you're facing a decision, 
You've got a crossroads moment here at Christmas. They're looking at 2015. Do you live more for the praise of men or praise from God? Do you value human praise? What are others going to think? What are they going to say? Will they celebrate me making that choice? Or actually, is it the internal knowing and the peace that comes from knowing I am honoring God in this decision? How do we overcome being driven by what everyone else thinks about us? We surrender ourselves to living for an audience of one. Because becoming obsessed with what God thinks about us is the quickest and only way to be set free what people think about us. And Joseph is being led by the Holy Spirit here to a place in his life where he says, you know what? I value the opinion of God more than the opinion of people. Now, how does this play out in our everyday life? I want to give you a a few ideas here that you can apply because when you live for God, not everyone's going to like it. Point number one, pleasing God often means disappointing people. But point number two, if you're taking notes, this is going to speak to some of you. Number two, if you're not ready to be criticized for obeying God, you're not ready to actually be used by God. (laughs) I want you to think about all the different ways that Joseph and Mary would be criticized, right? I mean, publicly disgraced again and again. For the rest of their life, people would whisper about him. Yeah, there goes that, you know, you see the stroller? That's not really his kid, you know? She says it was the Holy Ghost, but I saw his donkey parked outside of her apartment at 2 a.m. And they're not doing Torah studies at 2 a.m., okay? I'm telling you. This is a huge public stigma, very unpopular. And I don't know how it will play out in your life, but there will come a time when you are reading God's word and the Holy Spirit will speak to you and tell you, prompt you to do something that's going to be unpopular, If you obey God in this way, you're going to be criticized by your peers. For instance, Mary and Joseph were teenagers. We have some teenagers here. Maybe you're a college student. Let's say you know that God is telling you to break free of the party lifestyle, right? You say, you know what? I I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. God, I want to serve Christ. And you know what? I am not getting drunk anymore. I'm not going to smoke weed anymore. I'm not going to go to all the parties anymore. And all your party friends are, what's wrong with you? Are you like a holy roller now? You religious freak nut job? You know what? If you want to obey God, if you're not ready to be criticized, you're not ready to be used by God. Or you might say, you know, no matter what I did in the past, I am going to honor God with sexual purity, no matter what happened in the past. And other people are like, you got to be kidding me. This is the 20, this isn't Little House on the Prairie. It's the 21st century. Everybody hooks up. And you're going to say, no, you religious loser nut job. And they're going to make fun of you. Or if you're a college student and you say, you know what, my friends are going to Cancun for spring break, but I feel called to go to Nicaragua and serve the poor on a mission trip. I say, why would you waste your vacation doing something like that? You come and have a good time with us, and they're going to make fun of you. If you're not ready to be criticized by people, you're not ready to be used by God. Understand that? Again, teens, college, maybe you're an adult here. Let's say you're an adult and um, you've had a successful career, but you feel like God is calling you to potentially leave your job. You're gonna, he's asking you to leave a high-paying job to go to a lower-paying job because you felt like God was calling you to step uh, into something, a role that would contribute to the greater society. And you feel like, you know what, you could make a difference in this new job, but the pay isn't as high. And everybody around you is like, why in the world would you do that? I mean, our economy, that's, that's reckless. Don't be a fool. Don't throw away your career. What's your family going to do? Can they keep the same lifestyle? Do you know how many people would kill to have the income you have? That's crazy. If you're not ready to be criticized for obeying God, you're not ready to be used by God. 
let me show you how this played out in an email I got last week. I got an amazing email from a husband and father at one of our campuses. He and his wife have um, four kids. He has a very successful track record in business. He said, Tim, hey, I grew up not having a lot, and, and we've been blessed. Our, our family, is, God's been very generous to our family. But he said, Tim, here's my problem. I've been trying to close this business deal by this December. It's a pretty big deal he's been working on. And he's been pushing for this business deal to come through. He's like, you know, we need the income. But for whatever reason, this business deal I've been working on all fall is not going to close. And here's what he wrote. He said, one of the reasons I want to close by December 31st is I feel God is leading us to tithe on our income. In fact, I told you, he, grew, he kind of grew up of a humble means. And he and his wife have a heart for feeding the homeless at uh, Christmas. And so he wanted to make a year-end financial gift to our Christmas song. This is amazing. He wanted to tithe on this. This is the God part. Let me read you what he wrote. He said, I'm going to do something very different and uncommon. I want to trust God with this deal, and I want to tithe on money that I haven't earned yet. That might sound crazy, and I don't know if it's normal, but I feel right doing it. This is important. I trust God has his hand on my life, and I feel so strong about that, I'm going to take it one step further. This is the God part. Tithe on the money as if I received it and ask God to deliver it. It's a step of faith, of course, but as you mentioned today, obedience is mine and the outcome is God's. I feel that this is what God's calling me to do, and I'm super excited to do it, and I've made arrangements to provide a Christmas offering to Liquid this week in the amount of $75,000. That took, yeah, you can applaud, you can applaud for that. I, at first, honestly, I was just like, I like, is this a typo? This is a typo. I thought the period is typically, is he saying $75? That took my breath away. Literally, like literally, guys, because that's an act of faith and obedience that the world might look at and say, what are you, crazy? Are you nuts? You can't give money you don't have. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And my friend is a businessman with great faith and greater integrity. Honestly, more faith than me in this area. And we celebrate his family's sacrifice. Amen? But I want you to understand, we're not, we're not applauding the amount. This wouldn't matter if it was $75 or $750 or $75,000 or whatever sacrifice is proportional, and it looks different for every person here. But this family said, we heard what God is calling us to do in this area at Christmas. And we don't understand fully how it's all going to work out or what people might say or think, but we're going to obey, and we're going to sacrifice to serve others, to feed the hungry, to make 10,000 hygiene kits for Nicaragua at Liquid. God has blessed us so we can be a blessing to others. That's called faith, and that's outstanding leadership in a family. If you're not ready to be criticized for obeying God, you're not ready to be used by God. Let me tell you something. If you want to make a difference at all in this world for Jesus Christ and his kingdom, you will receive more criticism than people who don't. If you're like, my goal in life is to live a quiet life where nobody shoots any arrows or critiques anything, let me tell you what you need to do. Do nothing, sacrifice for nothing, and I guarantee you will accomplish nothing great for God. But you know what? I'd rather choose the bullets. I'd rather have people mock me or question my faith than miss out on God's purpose for my life. Because if you attempt nothing for Christ, ain't nobody going to say nothing. But when you start taking risks and ground for Jesus, that's where the bullets fly. That's when you get hit with resistance and criticism. This is how the church has advanced in every generation. Every innovation in the church was criticized at first. Do you know what was really criticized early on in the church? Pews. 
You know those straight-backed wooden chairs, you know, that we rip out of churches and put in chairs? When pews were first put in, everybody stood originally, and the preachers were like, I'm talking long. I want people comfortable. Have a seat. And they're like, no, people have to stand for reading God's word. You're going to let pews in this place? And then they let in organs. You know how the organ was controversial? Because the organ, the organ were only found in bars. They're like, you're going to let an instrument of the devil in the house of God? let alone two turntables and a microphone, <gasps> you know? But Martin Luther and Charles Wesley, they brought in the organ in the church, and they took the bullets, and they set theology to pub songs. That's where we get some of our best hymns, drinking songs that were reworked with gospel lyrics. Now, most recently, and this is a bit of a scandal, I have heard some churches putting up giant movie screens in the church, you know, crazy, right, Nutley in New Brunswick? Uh, you know, be, oh boy, I can't do that. I'd like to shake the pastor's hand in person. How could the Holy Spirit travel through pixels? It'll never work. At this moment, there are more people experiencing this message preached through a video screen than live in person. Did you know that? Not even in New Jersey. Right now, this message is being streamed through church online. Church online? That doesn't even count as church. Well, tell that to Eric, who wrote me last week. Last week was a bumper email week. Listen to this. Good morning, Tim. My name is Eric, and I'm writing to you from Nairobi, Kenya. I'm a partaker of Liquid Online and sharing the vision and convictions of Liquid Church. Me, my wife, a couple of our friends gather together to view every week's service and go, out, go an extra mile to share with our friends and family. This is great. Have you and the wider leadership of Liquid considered starting a campus in other countries or continents? Here, here in Kenya, I know for a fact that there are many of us who'd benefit from the ministry offered through Liquid. I'm willing to help out in any way that I possibly can and as a minister to the youth and young professionals. Is that incredible? That's amazing. Let's give a big Christmas shout out to our brothers and sisters in Africa. Praise God for you guys. Anyone want to be campus pastor in Nairobi? That is awesome. I'll tell you, I'll see, see me after the service. That's amazing to me to see God use technology in a way that people may say is crazy at first, but it reaches people on the other side of the world, a whole other continent with the gospel. Understand, that's why we do some crazy things in this church. Like Craig Rochelle says, I truly believe to reach people no one else is reaching, we need to do things that nobody else is doing. And that's why next spring, on Easter Sunday, April 5th, we are hosting New Jersey's largest Easter egg drop. We're going to drop 100,000 Easter eggs from a helicopter at every liquid campus. Um, I know. Some of you are like, what? Uh, okay, just follow it. Easter has become kind of a big day in our church to introduce people to the salvation message of Jesus. And next year, we want to make this so easy for you to invite your unchurched friends and families. An Easter egg hunt is a very big bridge builder for young families. Plus, who doesn't want to see Pastor Kyler hanging out of a helicopter, right? Never know what could happen there. Uh, but on a serious note, last spring, we had 5,000 people celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and 179 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ for the first time. That's why we do crazy stuff like this, because our entire purpose as a church is to see lives changed by Jesus Christ. Jesus, he's going to save people from their sins. And you know what? People can criticize and say, they're crazy. Why would they do that? But at Liquid, we don't care, because if you're not ready to be criticized by people, you're not ready to be used mightily by God. This Easter egg drop is actually one of um, two church-wide outreaches next year that are part of this December's Christmas offering. If you want to know the other one, you can kind of look at the brochure in your bulletin. For me, I was always like, wouldn't it be cool if we had you know, 
all four campuses together under one roof, and wouldn't it be cool if it were someplace like the Jersey Shore, like maybe the Great Auditorium in Ocean Grove? I'm not going to tell you what it is. You can read about it uh, yourself, but these church-wide outreaches next spring are a key part of the evangelism strategy we have to reach people who don't know Jesus yet. And in 2015, that's why we're making it part of our Christmas offering this December. So understand if you're new to our church, anything we have ever accomplished by God's grace has first been met with resistance or criticism. First they mock you, then they join you, thought number two. (laughs) If you're not ready to be criticized for obeying God, you're not ready to be used by him. Thought number three, and this is going to set some of you kind of free personally just as you're processing this. Extraordinary acts of God often begin with ordinary acts of obedience. I want you to think about this. God's salvation plan for you, the reason you are saved today, you know you're going to heaven, is because two teenage kids said yes in a simple act of obedience. I'll do it. It doesn't make sense, but God, I believe this is your word to me. You sent a messenger. Yes. What's crazy is if you try to get into the mind of Joseph and Mary, what do the angels say to them? Not a lot of information. The angel is basically like, you're going to have a son named Jesus. He's going to save people. That's it. No details. And you know they were, you know, you know how, they didn't know. How are we going to, that's it? How are we going to raise him? How are we going to discipline him? Are we going to spank him or are we going to give him a time out, right? I mean, we're dealing with the son of God here. He's perfect. So like maybe he'll spank us or put us in a timeout. I, I don't know, right? There's no details, of how we're supposed to do this. I mean, this is crazy. And I think there are times when we're like, God, I will do this if you will just show me the details. And God is like, you can't handle the details. If I showed you everything, you wouldn't take that first step. Joseph didn't know the details. God just told him what to do next, and he did it. And this is such an important truth for Christ's followers to embrace. You don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. We don't have to see the whole picture to put the first puzzle piece in place and just trust God with the rest. Because going back to last week, the outcome is whose? Outcome is God's. Obedience is your responsibility. This is so encouraging, guys. You have no idea what you might set into motion when you simply obey what God has put on your heart. You know, 15 years ago, Colleen and I, we were newlyweds, and we walked into this older Baptist church and the pastor saw us, and he's like, oh, look, a couple of 20-somethings. And he said, hey, would you guys teach a class, like a Sunday school class, for the other 20-somethings? And we looked around, we're like, there are other 20-somethings? Yes, eight of them, you know? And the church, <coughs> church was 150 years old. We had no vision for launching Liquid Church. I didn't even feel called to the ministry at the time. Sometimes, you know, other pastors say, hey, Tim, what was the grand vision, you know, like God gave for Liquid, like I was on a mountain and came down? And I laugh. Because I think back to Pastor Padel asking a simple question. Hey, can you and Colleen just teach a Sunday school class? And just to show you how dumb and ignorant we were at the time, you know what my answer was? It depends. How early do we have to come? That, that was my answer. A ridic- I can't believe that guy eventually hired me. We didn't have a clue. We were so self-absorbed and narcissistic. We had a bad attitude. We had no vision. But he said, 9 o'clock? And we're like, okay. And so we started that, and we had 10 people in, this, this, you know, in, a, in a Baptist church basement with bad coffee. That's how this church started, with a, s- a simple act of imperfect obedience. 
by two dumb kids, but who had a willingness to be open for God to use them for purposes that we couldn't imagine. We had no idea at the time what would be a decade later. So you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. And when Liquid started growing, I felt God calling me to leave my tenured position as a high school teacher. That was scary. Colleen and I were like, is this occupational suicide? Is this financially viable? And we said, we don't have to understand completely to obey immediately, and so we obeyed. And then when we moved Liquid to, to Morristown as an independent church, we had no idea. Will anyone show up? We're going to have to close the doors after three months. We don't know, but we don't have to understand that completely to obey immediately, and so we obeyed. And when we felt God calling us to launch a campus in New Brunswick, and then Nutley, and then Mountainside, we didn't know the details of how each one was going to work out, but we felt God's leading, and we obeyed, and the rest is history. It's why you're sitting here today. So you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately. Again, how will this look in your life? I don't know. But this week, understand something. When you do something simple, when you go and invite your neighbors to the Christmas Eve services, you have no idea how their family may be different years from now. You have no idea how their children, how generations may be changed by a single act of obedience because God puts someone on your heart. When you volunteer, when you say, oh, I will help out at this church, okay, when you feel prompted to serve somewhere in our church, you have no idea whose life you might impact whose family legacy will be different, who might become a follower of Jesus Christ when you do something for someone else. And suddenly, it becomes the high point of your week when you're a humble servant, serving like Jesus did, and you discover this, this love and this joy and your life's purpose in doing that. Extraordinary acts of obedience, ordinary begin with an ordinary act of obedience. So the angel speaks to Joseph and he says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what's conceived in her, what's being birthed, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph's, Joseph at this moment has a choice to make. Does he do what's easy? Or does he do what's right? Does he do what people expect him to do? Or does he do what God commands him to do? In one little verse, last verse, we see Joseph's heart. This is beautiful. Look at verse 24. Let's read this out loud. When Joseph woke up, here it is, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And through that simple act of obedience by a teenage boy, the greatest act of God in human history, was fulfilled. You have no idea what you set into motion with a single act of obedience to God. When the Holy Spirit births something in you, and it's hard, you wrestle with it, between what's easy and between what's right, what people think, what God thinks, and by God's grace, you respond with a simple sentence that has the power to dictate your destiny. I'll do whatever the Lord has commanded me to do. I promise you, you will have no idea the extraordinary thing that your ordinary act of obedience can set into motion when you follow what this tiny baby who became our Savior puts on your heart.
Father, I ask right now with all heads bowed by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to our people. Lord, speak to us. God, make us sensitive right now to what you're saying to us directly through your word or by the power of the Holy Spirit. Confirm, Lord, decisions in people's minds that it is your voice, Lord, speaking to them. Lord, no matter what you're calling us to this Christmas, I ask right now for the Holy Spirit's power to give us the courage to do whatever you ask. God, right now I pray for the women here, like Mary. May each woman here say, I am the Lord's servant. I serve the Lord. And like Joseph, may every man, every father, every husband say, I will do, Lord, whatever you command me to do. And Lord, may we all do it together with the heart and the humility of Jesus, our Savior, who came to serve and save us from our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said together. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.